This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, this is Annie Grace. I'm the author of This Naked Mind, and today I have a reader's question that I'm going to answer. And the question is, uh, it's from Charlotte, and she says, I see lots of videos that you've done on social drinking, but not necessarily on social anxiety. Let me know if I missed something. I'd find it really helpful if you could do a video on how to cope with social anxiety without drinking. It's one of the main reasons I started drinking in the first place. I found it took the edge off, and I could relax in people's company and actually give eye contact and feel much more at ease. I still suffer with acute social anxiety and don't want to use alcohol as a crutch for it anymore. But as it does take the edge off, I'm finding it near impossible not to drink in social situations. Well, first of all, Charlotte, just kudos to you because social anxiety can be absolutely crippling. I mean, literally crippling. There's all sorts of research and studies that show that our fear of a social situation, our fear of humiliation, our fear of embarrassment can be just like our fear of physical pain. And so it sometimes can be worse than our fear of physical pain, especially if something's happened to you in the past where you were humiliated or embarrassed or something quite negative happened in the social situation. And so there's one thing that you should know up front, and that is about avoidance of of anything. So what happens when you basically like avoid social anxiety, and you can do this in a lot of ways. So say that you decide that you feel really anxious about going out and you just decide not to do it. So your anxiety goes up because you feel anxious about going out. Then you decide you're not going to go out and your anxiety immediately goes down. And what that does is it actually teaches your brain that avoiding it is the solution for the social anxiety. Now, the exact same thing happens with alcohol. When you decide that you're going to go out and then you feel very anxious about it and you say, oh, but I can have a drink, you teach your brain that your anxiety goes down as soon as you decide you can have a drink and then you teach your brain that alcohol is absolutely necessary and the way to avoid that anxiety is to reach for a drink. And that thought process, that anxiety lessening at the thought of a drink is actually more powerful in many instances than any uh, solution or any numbing agent the drink actually gives you. So that's something to really consider. And the more that you teach your brain these avoidance things, whether it's deciding not to go or whether to reach for a drink, the less you become able and equipped to actually deal with the social anxiety. But I think you probably know that. I think the question then becomes, okay, so how exactly do you handle social anxiety? And there is a very specific technique from cognitive behavioral therapy that I find really, really helpful. And I've done this, there's a bunch of different techniques, and I'm gonna share a few with you, but this first one is specific cognitive behavior therapy. So here's what you do. You are preparing to go out and you make a list before you do, and this takes a little bit of work, but if you can get on the other side of something like social anxiety, the work is just so worth it. But you make a list of all the things about that evening that might make you feel anxious. So it's going to make you feel anxious walking up to the door. And it's going to make you feel anxious when you go in the door. And then you're going to see people, and that's going to make you feel anxious. And what if everybody looks at you when you first walk in because you're the new person? How anxious is that going to make you feel? And then what about going and shaking hands with the first person? And what about being introduced to somebody you don't know? And so you make this list of all these possible things that could happen. And what you do is you give every single thing a ranking. So one, 
or zero is you don't feel any anxiety about that. Maybe getting in the car on the way there, you don't feel any anxiety. You know, 10 is it's a massive panic attack. And that's when everybody looks at you and, you know, you have something in your hair or in your teeth or something like that. And so it's, it's just a 10. And so you rate, rate these fears. And then what you have to do, and this is where it gets tricky and you have to have a lot of courage here, is you have to go to the party and not drink. And then you compare and you test your predictions. And what happens so much of the time is that fear is this funny, funny thing that fear is, it's the old quote, the, the thing is the fear itself. And fear is so much scarier than reality. What our brains do to these situations, how our brains take them so far out is actually much, much scarier than what really happens. But we don't let ourselves know this because we often just reach for a drink and we don't give ourselves the chance to test those predictions. So what happens if walking in the door and having everybody look at you rates a seven or an eight, and then you actually walk in the door and everybody looks at you and you come back after the party and you look down and you're like, oh, how did I actually feel? Well, that was only a three, actually. That gives you this huge boost and this huge sense of confidence. So I, another thing that you can do, so that's one technique. Another technique that you can do is you can identify what's called your safety behaviors, right? So drinking is obviously a safety behavior. Reaching for a drink, clinging to the drink, having the drink in your hand, those are things that make you feel safer. Another one you talked about, eye contact. So avoiding eye contact is a major safety behavior. Um, you know crossing your arms like this, not taking off your jacket, uh, you know, not sitting down or facing away from the group of people. Those are all safety behaviors. And so if you can identify the things that you're doing to make yourself feel safe, you can think of all of those behaviors like training wheels. And the thing about training wheels is that you become very, very dependent on them. Some kids, you know, become insanely dependent on training wheels to learn to ride a bike. In fact, you become so reliant on them that you believe that you're unable to be in the social situation without those safety behaviors. But by identifying them, then you can go, okay, this is actually the thing that's keeping me stuck. Because as soon as you do something without that safety behavior, as soon as you say, okay, I'm not going to cross my arms, just going to sit my hands in my lap and just take a few breaths, and you just sit with your hands in your lap, then you say, wow, I'm the kind of person that's just not all tensed up at the party. And then you go to the party and you don't have a drink, and that's a major safety behavior. And you're like, wow, I'm the kind of person that doesn't need it. And you start building this bank of really positive emotions. So there's a few more things that I wanna say is number one is this in all stressful situations. If we can flip our brains to say, okay, stress is actually a challenge and it's something to rise up, everything uncomfortable in our life, and you'll see this over and over and over, if you can push through the discomfort, it's amazing the rewards you get. And if you think of it like exercising, you get more rewards when you push through the discomfort, when you make your heart beat faster but also pushing through the discomfort. So if you can see this whole thing as like, okay, this is a challenge, this is a test, this is a chance for me to really build my muscles around social socializing and social anxiety, studies show that if you flip just that one little flip and say, this is interesting, this is a test, instead of saying, oh, this is so stressful, your actual stress-related symptoms, so the physical anxiety you have, the cortisol, the adrenaline in your system, actually decreases by up to 23%. And that's like based on research. So it's amazing what that simple mindset shift will do. There's a few other things I want to say 
is that another really great technique is when you go into a situation and you start to feel panicky, instead of just letting your feeling take over, because we believe our feelings, we think, oh, these are true and, and they mean something and they're so intense. And we actually like our feelings are much less, they only have the power that we give them. And when we recognize that they're not always true and they don't always mean gloom and doom, they might just be habitual or a reaction to something else they kind of, we can diffuse their power. So a good way to do that is just simply to label them. And it's called noting, it's called labeling, but it looks like this. You walk in, you start to feel anxious, and you say, okay, heightened level of anxiety. And you just sort of say it, and you just say it out loud in your head, heightened level of anxiety. And just by labeling it, by saying what it is, it literally diffuses it. And then it might calm down a little bit, and you're like, wow, anxiety is lowering. And then you go into the next thing. And it's just a simple dialogue in your head where you're just literally putting a name to the emotion because the emotions can like run wild. But once there's a name on it, it becomes something that your your mind and your thoughts can start to control a bit more instead of just emotions running wild. And then there's two more things. I have a lot of stuff to say on this. But um, the two more things is one other technique that you might enjoy is just thinking before you go of like, what's the worst possible thing that can happen? And thinking of the worst possible thing that can happen has a really kind of nice benefit and it sounds weird, but when you do it, you realize that the worst possible thing like really isn't that bad. I used to do this when I was working a big corporate job and people would get laid off and I'd start to get really anxious about it. Oh gosh, what if I get laid off? What if I get laid off? And then I'd be like, okay, well, what's the worst possible thing that could happen? Like the worst possible thing that could happen is I get laid off and we lose our house and we have to move into a smaller house and maybe we're living in an apartment and I have to find a job and, you know, maybe I end up working at Starbucks. And then I was like, hmm, we're living in an apartment, like, you know, working not a corporate job and just like serving coffee. I love serving coffee to people. I used to do it in high school. It was absolutely awesome or whatever it is. But like that whole thought process diffused the fear because if you realize that so the worst possible thing, I walk in, I've been eating, you know, chips and they're all in my teeth and I smile and everybody laughs at me. And they're like, okay, number one, that probably wouldn't happen <laughs> because people would probably not just laugh at you for that. But number two, you just see through the worst possible thing that can happen. And then my very last tip on this is that after you've done all this, when you're leaving, people with social anxiety, we have this tendency to leave a situation and say, oh, how did that go? And we run through it in our minds and we start to like pick it apart and think of things we could have done better. And oh my gosh, how did it go? And we spend all this time analyzing our behavior and scoring ourselves. Don't do that. So what you do instead is you get out of that situation, you did it without a drink, maybe you let go of some of your other safety behaviors, you made some eye contact, you actually asked people questions, you showed interest in other people, you leave that situation and you celebrate. And maybe you celebrate by rewarding yourself and you don't have to go to another social situation for a few days, but whatever you do, you just celebrate. You don't play it back in your head, you don't do a post-mortem, you don't try to make it better, you just say, good for me, kudos, I did it. And I hope that really helps and it's such a good thing, but just remember the crux of it is, if you don't push through this without a drink, you are telling yourself that you always will need a drink to get through this and you'll become more and more and more reliant on alcohol. The only way to get over this is through it. But when you do get through it, the strength and the fortitude and the proud like feeling that you'll have for yourself for doing it will be absolutely incredible and it will be incredibly, incredibly worth it. Thank you, Charlotte, for such a great question and have a wonderful day. 
This has been Annie Grace with This Naked Mind Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can learn more at thisnakedmind.com. And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe as it really helps us spread the word.